Welcome home. You're listening to the 180 Church Podcast with Dr. Sammy and friends. Dr. Sammy D. Kim is a Harvard-trained ethicist and co-founder of 180 Church NYC. He is a Yale Hastings Scholar at the Yale Interdisciplinary Center for Bioethics and the Hastings Center, where he explores the inequities surrounding health, immigration, and social policies, along with professional burnout. He is also a regular contributor to Christianity Today. For more information, please visit his website at samdkim.com. Welcome, everyone who joined us today live and online. Let me just give you a moment as we move into the second week of Lent to center ourselves in a moment of silence and solitude to focus on what God might be saying to us and how he might speak to us. So let's take this time and exhale all the ruminating thoughts, all the toxicities, anxieties just laid before God's house. And inhale the presence of God, the transcending peace, and the promise that if we cast our cares upon him, he would care for us. Sarah Young, March 13, learn to live above your circumstances. This requires focused time with me, the one who overcame the world. Trouble and the rest are woven into the very fabric of this perishing world. Only my life in you can empower you to face this endless flow of problems with good cheer. As you sit quietly in my presence, I shine my peace into your troubled mind and heart. Little by little, you are freed from earthly shackles and lifted above your circumstances. You gain my perspective on your life, enabling you to distinguish between what is important and what is not. Rest in my power, receiving joy, and no one could take it away from you. All God's people pray. Amen. So, let's put this picture up here. In college, a friend of ours told us over lunch, her perfect guy. And she said to us, so, what is your perfect guy like? Well, she said, well, for starters, he's wearing an Armani suit and drives an Aston Martin. And I thought to myself and said, well, you basically eliminated everybody in our school and everybody else in this entire zip code, except maybe James Bond and a male leading role in a Korean drama where they facetiously curate um, a male lead, a male character, that's always prettier than the, the girl they're pursuing. And this is the whole arc of Korean dramas. The girl next door has Brad Pitt, guy looking, come to their door in a nice car to pick them up. This is sort of the fantasy. And I told her, if you don't wake up from this, first you need to fast Korean dramas for Lent. 
But if you don't wake up from this fantasy, you'll be lucky if a really nice guy that buys his suits from Target and drives a really used Hyundai even thinks about dating you. Okay? I was joking, of course. But this is the question I have to ask. How does that happen? How does an abstraction from a screenwriter become the standard in which you judge everybody else and yourself? How does that happen? Well, psychology has a word for it. It's called the unrelenting standard schema. Tell someone next to you, unrelenting. Unrelenting standard schema. Well, the first part is self-explanatory, but a schema, if you don't know what it means, is a lens in which you look and see the world. So it's tainted by experience, of course, but it's how you see the world and people. So logically, if you think about it, if your standard is unrelenting, then you create what? Unrelenting expectations. For who? Yourself and others. First, let me tell you why that's destructive, maladaptive, and exhausting. How many people exhausted? Because if you have an unrelenting standard in your mind, and it's, you know, in psychotherapy, it's handed to you from a family of origin or a culture, like my friend from college. It's exhausting because this expectation is not just unrealistic, it can't be met ever. Tell someone it can't be met ever. Tell someone you will fail. So it's self <laughs> Well, sorry. You'll, it's self-sabotage. Why? Because it's what? It's an abstraction from a neurosis. So actually you're projecting destructive propensities on other people and yourself. And it's unfair. So what, what happens? Two things end up happening. First, because this is the standard in which you judge yourself, there is a propensity for what? Self-hatred grows. How many people struggle with self-critical thoughts or self-hatred? If, you, if you're like, yeah, me, me. And I'm the chief of that. Perfectionism? No, I don't struggle with that. So you grow self-hatred. You mess up you know, a word in a paper. And sometimes it's a professional paper. And the editor says, you know, they, get, they draw an X. It's like, oh man, I'm such an idiot. And you grow self-critical and you grow self-hatred and you punish yourself for human mistakes. It's exhausting. And then what happens is we become unrelenting in our standards, how we judge others. Why you do like this? This is the whole marital problem in, part, in, in relationships. Why do you do it that way? Do it this way. And I say to my wife, that's stupid. But because you have a standard, you have an image, you have a schema in which you think how things should be done. And they're actually an impossible standard to ever meet because if someone met it, you'd be like, well, that's not what I mean. That's what I'm looking at. So what happens? It's impossible to have a relationship, a realistic relationship, 
with your spouse, your significant other, your friends, your family, because you're trying to meet something that's impossible. And that's why during the season of Lent, it affords us an amazing opportunity to follow the model of Jesus to examine these cultural and critical voices in our lives. That's why Jesus was led into the wilderness. Because sometimes you think that those voices are just cultural or external being put on us. And yes, they are to a certain extent. But what happens is it finds entry. Once it finds entry, and you don't even know where if they're implicit, it's running in your mind. It's a script. Tell someone next to you, it's a script. It's a script running in your mind. And because it's a script running in your mind, you're an actor in the drama and you're playing it out in its automatic thoughts. And so there, in which there's no escape. So you punish yourself and you punish other people. So the, the word Lenten or Lent is means it's exactly what it means. It's a Lenten or lengthy season to contemplate and reflect by fasting, right? But the word Lenten or Lenten is there because it directly addresses Jesus' fast for 40 days. And throughout church history, it translated into Lent or Lenting. But if you're Lenting, then you can what? Not only identify and expose this chance of our unrelenting standards and unrealistic expectations that we've somehow found entry into our minds, those scripts, but also unlearn them, amen? To unlearn them. To expose them, then unlearn them. Because when you go to Matthew 4, in the beginning of Jesus' ministry, of Him beginning His fast to start His ministry for 40 days, it's actually referenced back. That word wilderness is really desert. The book of Exodus, the people of Israel, trying to exit the desert. They never exited. They died. Most died in the wilderness because what? They had a certain voice in their head, a certain vision in their a certain standard they couldn't unlearn. Jesus did in 40 days what most failed to do in 40 years. That's the opportunity. If you don't want to lengthen, tell somebody, lengthen. Yeah, your misery and driving everybody crazy, driving yourself crazy and projecting your self-hatred in other people, then this is the moment where you can catch these standards and allow the Spirit to come in and help you. And in schema therapy, it's basically psychotherapy reversed. That family of origin, the way they handle these expectations, you're unlearning through the lens of the gospel, freeing you. How many people want that? How many people want that opportunity? I do. That's the hope before us. And that's why today we want to explore the idea, why it's so paramount to develop spiritual rhythms in our lives for the long term. Length offers us that opportunity to integrate spiritual rhythms 
not just for Lent, but for our lives. Because when Lent's over, are you going to stop being self-critical? Are expectations going to stop? Are you going to stop watching Korean dramas? Because you might be fasting that for Lent, but you're going to watch it again. And those abstractions will what? Those scripts will enter again. <laughs> you know what the sucky part about this is? This is chronic. This is lifelong. There's no pill. There's no realizing, oh yeah, identity is important. I'm loved, I'm loved. You can say that over and over again, but it'll never change. It'll be chronic. It's a lifelong battle. So let's move down and learn why it's paramount to develop spiritual rhythms for the long term. So watch this. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, right? Referencing the book of Exodus. The same test to be tempted by the devil. And the implicit temptations in Jesus' life was also about unrelenting expectation. And you have to ask the question, did Jesus know that he was the Messiah, that he was the Savior of the world, when he was incarnate as an infant. Well, yeah, of course. He, people go, of course he was God. But the Bible says theologically that he, through kenosis, put away his divine qualities. Even, even though ontologically his identity could never part from being part of the Godhead. But he relinquished that power and that ability. So, just like us, Jesus had to learn who he was. And so... Let me tell you the good news. If you're confused about your identity, tell someone this, if you're confused, the good news is Jesus was confused too. And he had to evolve. An evolution of consciousness had to evolve. And if you look at the nature of this temptation in this passage, you'll see that it was about identity, the expectations that he had on himself as the Savior of the world. And in many ways, how he was failing them. Because people said, well, he's not good-looking. How could a Messiah not be good-looking? Julius Caesar, right? Alexander the Great. He, the Bible tells us that there was no appeasing quality about him in physical appearance. Sorry to, you know that picture that we draw in Western civilization of Jesus? No, that's not what he looks like. Okay, that's brainwashing. So, the expectations Jesus had. He was juggling those expectations. And he was struggling so much. Even his cousin doubted him. John the Baptist says, are you really the one? Jesus is like, yeah, bro. John the Baptist, are you sure? Even John the Baptist, who Jesus says was the greatest man to ever come from a woman, doubted Jesus and who he was. And so let me tell you, if Jesus struggled establishing who he was in Christ, I mean, he's Christ, who is in God, then how much more will we struggle in our lives about who we are and our worth and our identity and those expectations that we have for ourselves and we have for others? And I want you to catch this. He said, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights to lengthen and in many ways, hyperbolically um, insinuate the struggle in his own heart. The text says he was hungry. He was hungry. How many people hungry right now? 
I'm hungry. I only ate two eggs today. Soft-boiled eggs. So if my stomach starts growling, that's me. Okay? But he was hungry. That's really good news that the frailty of the Savior knows our deprivations and our frailty. Because if he was going to be the Savior, he had to understand our own frailty and our own needs. Meaning Jesus was also needy. He needed food. But we don't just need food. We need love. We need approval. We need praise. We need community. That's, in, that's the context in which our lives are embedded in. And that's when the tempter, in his weakness, the tempter came and said to him, right, dealing with those expectations is if you are the Son of God. That's conditional, right? If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Prove it. Anybody here feel like they have to prove themselves? Raise your hand if you feel like you have to prove yourself. Because I don't. I'm proving myself right now, right? Prove it. The demonic accusatory accusation, the, the nature of this temptation, is not about food. It's about performance and identity. And why it was 40 days was to lengthen the struggle. And why the Israelites struggled for 40 years was because to establish who you really are, really in your life never ends. I mean, who am I? But once you're married, who am I as a husband? Who am I as a father? What if your 10-year-old runs away, which like mine did? then you ask yourself, which has nothing to do with you, per se, in your decision, but then you ask, what did I do wrong? How could I have done it better? I'm one of those types that thinks about what I could have done better over and over again. Like, every second. Recently, I, I just signed, this week, my book proposal. So, my book is coming out in the fall. But let me tell you, man, traditional publishing, Jesus, it is humbling. You go in there, you get an agent, and you're puffed up, and you believe in your highlights, and you believe in your ability, and then the editors just, you know, they're the devil. <laughs> if there's anyone that can shake you and your confidence in yourself. It's this process. In, in this process, there's something I've learned that no matter what you achieve or how much you achieve or what kind of highlights you had in your life, as you climb the ladder of success to a certain extent, with that highlight or success comes new expectations. Great. You're like, wow. There was a, there's a period of five years in my life which I couldn't even explain. It was like I had the golden touch. Like I would win the lottery. If I played, I would win the lottery. I mean, three IV admissions, all pass, 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 pass. Articles, I, you know, I'm like, I don't even know what I'm doing here, writing it. Number one that week, 
on Christianity today. Right? It's like anything you do has a golden touch. And that's actually, and at a one moment, this is when major publishers began to clam my agent, clamor, when Harvard shared my piece on loneliness. And let me just tell you this. My wife and I were fighting that day, like killing each other almost. And then I said, someone send this to me. I was like, Harvard just shared my piece. And then it went viral because all my friends shared it and they, they sent it to me. And I was like, I think that's a mistake. Like I didn't believe it. And this is when publishers came. And I was like, there's no way I could lose, right? You feel like you believe, you believe in the press release. And so my agent who found, uh, basic was first publisher for uh, Yancey, Philip Yancey, who is a renowned writer, also found me. And I was like, yes, so I'm gonna get a ma major publisher in the top four. So the major one, Harper Collins, was coming around and they said, we like, your, we like your proposal, we like your writing, we like you, but we want you to edit this. And that's what editors tell you all the time, publish, we want you to edit this. And it, and it takes like three years to publish something. And then, in the end, moved down, you know, they, they were like, this is great, we're gonna do this. And then suddenly, a celebrity, I'm not J.K. Rowling, but she doesn't write Christian books, but someone like J.K. Rowling who sold millions of books decided to write on the same topic. And they said, you know, we really like you. We like your background. But we think we're going to go with this guy. <laughs> and it was a year going back and forth. And my agent was so confident, he said, you have 30 days to have an exclusive agreement with this author. He, he was strong-arming them because he had thought he had a strong hand. And the celebrity said, well, I won awards and wrote million, sold millions of copies. What happens? Who are you when you're compared to J.K. Rowling? I mean, you're a new author. And then I realized, my God, I really suck, man. Then you're like, maybe if I wrote it better, maybe if I just was more prestigious, if I was just, you know, clearer, then, you see how as you climb, the expectations increases and becomes impossible, and now you're in the rat race. And at that moment, I realized that no matter where you want in your life, in every arena in your life, managing these expectations is chronic. And that's why it's so paramount integrate spiritual rhythms in your life because just because you think you read a book and you understand that identity is a problem doesn't mean you're transformed by it execution and comprehension are two different things right you saw Steph Curry last night eight points comprehension and execution are two different things I told everybody that that guy sucks man I mean, think about it. As you get older and you move in more complex places in life, lo losing and winning are very nuanced now. 
That's the whole idea of sports gambling. It's all about spreads. It's not about if your team wins, it's by how much. And you could lose even if your team wins because your spread was incorrect. And it becomes nuanced like that in our lives. It becomes a lot more complex. You might be winning, but then you might lose. And you might feel terrible. So the first lesson we learn from this text is what? Why it's paramount to integrate spiritual rhythms in our lives. Just read it. Read it with me together. Managing what? Is what? A daily struggle. It's a chronic issue. I'm sorry to tell you the bad news, but you will struggle with this forever. Forever until you die. Death and taxes, okay? I mean, it, this is tethered to our reality. It's tethered. That's why the mental health crisis is so acute today simply because of the expectations. The goalpost changes constantly in our lives. So how are you going to be tethered? How are you going to be anchored to who you are if these scripts continue to, these automatic thoughts continue to pursue and pop up in our minds and run through our lives and in our heads. I pray the Spirit today will help you realize this is why developing daily spiritual rhythms is the only way to mitigate something that's a daily struggle. Amen? So let's move down. So, check this out. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, and I think this is important. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So you see that baked right there into the text itself, that the way Jesus overcame the unrelenting expectations and standards that the world had for him, that he had for himself, to be what kind of Messiah he would be, what kind of Savior he would be, the political Messiah that would conquer Rome, right? The spiritual Messiah. The only way he was able to navigate these expectations and manage them in his life was that he, he developed an intimate relationship with the Father. He developed a rhythm. That's the only way. And watch, right before, in Matthew 4, remember Matthew 3.16 to 17. I know John 3.16 is popular, but always remember Matthew 3.16 Matthew 3, as well. It says that as soon as Jesus was baptized, a, a chapter prior, he went up out of the water. In a moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. 
Jesus? And you go, well, he's Jesus. Of course he heard that. No, Jesus had to evolve into his consciousness as the Son of God and also developing a relationship with God. That's hope for us. It's a model for us to follow. Meaning if you incrementally and I develop a relationship with the Father's voice, we too can hear them when we need them the most. Amen? And let me tell you, one of the most difficult things in your life that you're going to go through as you move on in life, in in your workplace, in your marriage, in your friendships, is managing the expectations others have on you. This is the hardest one for me. I mean, I can manage my own. It's hard to manage my own expectations for myself. I'm self-critical. There can be self-hatred because I'm not performing the way I want or accomplishing the things I want. But what about when I don't accomplish the things I want or become who I want, how other people feel about me? One of the most difficult things in the publishing process for me was feeling like letting the agent who signed Philip Yancey down. Doesn't matter. The other accomplishments, the other highlights didn't matter anymore because I thought, I thought maybe I'm not that guy, right? That's not who I am. Self-doubt enters. Because when you get rejected from a major publisher, and they go with this, they go, well, you can say, well, women are celebrity, but it doesn't matter. It happened, right? It's the outcome. And one of the things I felt was like, am I letting him down? And, and I started like obsessing and getting depressed. I'm like, talking to him on the phone. I'm like, hey, Tom, I wanted to ask him, you regret signing me? Because you know what happens, right? When, when an agent signs you and you don't get published, they drop you. I mean, because in the end, It's a transactional relationship, right? In the end, I mean, they're in it to make money. And so that was really difficult for me to navigate. You can, and and here it is. Let me just tell you straight, bluntly. Tell someone next to you, you're going to fail. You go, dang, it's a bad time to come to church. I thought you were here to tell me good news, Doc. Well, why? You're going to suck. At times, you're going to fail. Why? Because you're human. The only way you can grow is to know where you've fallen and, and find that growth area, right? And so no matter what you achieve, the standard then increases. And that's why if you go on this cyclical cycle of grief, of trying to achieve what is impossible, where the goalpost continues to change, then our what? Our inner lives would wither and suffocate, and we're not going to enjoy life. We're just going to be holding on for dear life, for things to pass, or for things to work out. We're not going to really be be present for the people we love, or be present for even ourselves. We're just holding on. This is what Henry Nouwen says, my favorite Catholic priest who passed, who taught at Harvard for many years, at the School of Divinity, in the book, The Life of the Beloved. And it's a blessing I would like to leave with you as we close today. Over the years, I have come to realize that the greatest trap in our life is not success, popularity, or power, but self-rejection. When we come to believe in these voices that call us worthless and unlovable, then success, popularity, and power are easily perceived as attractive solutions. The real trap, however, is self-rejection. 
As soon as someone criticizes me, as soon as I am rejected, left alone, or abandoned, I find myself thinking, well, that proves that I'm nobody. Self-rejection is the greatest enemy of the spiritual life because it contradicts the sacred voice that calls us the beloved. And here's the facts, folks. You will be rejected. You will fail. But the Bible tells us that perfect love casts out fear. And that perfect love is the only thing that can anchor us. So today, the good news of the gospel is expose the unrelenting scripts, unrelenting expectations you have for yourself, whether it was given to you by your, your family of origin or by culture. Surrender them. Expose them to the Father. Because even when you're imperfect, God's love will be perfect. His strength will be made perfect in our weakness. And the Father is here today to remind you of that. Why was Jesus so successful in his life and changed human history? Just from a historical point of view, he developed a spiritual rhythm in his life that reminded him that who he was was the Beloved. He was a son to his father. Before he preached a sermon, before he cast out demons, before he did any miracles. His being didn't determine. I mean, his doing didn't determine his being. His being determined his doing. Amen? Let's stand and pray together. Today, will you lift your hands with me to the Lord? And I want you to surrender the script that you've written from your own family of origin or the scripts that Hollywood or K-dramas or culture has handed to you. And I want to surrender them together.
As we close today, let me ask you a question. How many people here, by the raise of hands, are defensive by nature? Okay. If you're not, you're lying. Honestly, for a long time, I thought I was the only one defensive. That's my wife. The empirical science from various data sets tell us that no one likes feedback. Doesn't matter how you tell it or not. Any criticism is like, what? By our partner, by our supervisor, by our friends. It's like bacteria. It's like invading us, attacking our identity. And what that tells us is that our identity is frail. That's how frail our identities are. One rejection away, one snark comment away from having a meltdown or having a fight for four hours. This is why, folks, for the health of our own self, self-care, we need to go to the Father to regulate. And I don't think I put the second point up. I want to just put it up. Completely missed my punchline here. Why it's paramount to develop spiritual rhythms in our life, to integrate them for the long term, is because positive reframing is more craft than feeling, but prayer helps regulate both. It's really a pragmatic way of mitigating our frailty as human beings. And because the Father is so accommodating and tender, we can find our assurance as the beloved only in his arms. And I pray that in our frailty, we would turn to him and find kindness and find freedom from these unrealistic and unrelenting expectations in our lives so that we can begin to forgive others, love others well in front of us. And maybe, I know this is hard for perfectionists, but maybe even to love ourselves. Will you bow heads for the benediction? May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. All God's people pray. Amen. God bless you guys. Go in peace. 
Good afternoon, everybody. Uh, it's good to see all of you guys here on this nice and snowy Sunday. For those of you guys that don't know me, my name is Stu Still. I'm a member here at 180 Church. We are a community joining God to restore the beauty in all things. And again, it's so good to see all of you guys here today. Before we get started, we just have uh, some community news that we want to share with everybody. We're going to start off with tithes and offering. And for all of our members here, we want to remind and encourage you to continue to keep God at the center of everything, including your finances. You can make an offering through any of the electronic means uh, above. And if you're a visitor here, you guys are our guests, you guys are our visitor, there's no financial obligation to be here. But if you feel led to make an offering, you're more than welcome to do so at any of the means above as well. Our next announcement is about, is about the Bible Reading Group, which you can find on Instagram or Tumblr at 180BRG. And this is a great resource for us to get God's Word daily into our lives, whether we start the day whether, with it, whether we power through the afternoon with it, or whether it's a refreshing, quieting moment before we go to sleep at night to just bask in God's Word and really see what His promises are for us. And again, this is a great resource to bring that into our lives. We post just a chapter of the Bible every day on these uh um, outlets. And uh, again, you can find it on Instagram or Tumblr at 180BRG. Our next announcement is about the different ways that we can come together and pray. And as Dr. Sammy has been preaching uh, over the last few weeks, prayer is so important and vital to our lives. And it's important uh, not only for ourselves, but for those that we care about, for those that we're concerned about. And this is a great resource for those times when we want to pray for others and lift others up and that we don't want to do it alone, but we do it in community. Uh, at 5397 Prayer, you can send a text to our prayer team, or you can do it through email at prayer at 180church.tv. And again, this is a great resource for those times where either we're going through something in our lives or for those that we care about, our friends, our family, our coworkers, our loved ones, where we can lift them up, but not just lift them up alone, but lift them up with the community. And again, uh, it's 5397prayer or prayer at 180church.tv. And we also have our house of prayer, which we start at about 1140 every Sunday. And it's a great time to just quiet ourselves from all of the busyness, all the insanity, all the craziness of the week, and just ready ourselves to hear God's word. And we do that right here in the theater again at 1140. And uh, speaking of all the ways that we can pray and uh, do that. We uh, have all of these different devotionals, which we've been going into through this year, uh, that you can find at the 180 Cafe. Um, all of these are available for you guys. And again, Dr. Sammy has been talking about the ways that we can pray and the ways that we can, you know, center our lives in Christ. And these have been a great resource for a lot of people to just spend time every day, just with a short moment of prayer, of devotion to really connect with God. Uh, again, you can find all of these at the uh, 180 Cafe. Uh, it's on the honor system, so you can pick it up and then you can just Venmo us at Church 180 or at QuickPay at offering at 180church.tv. Next, we have all of the ways that we're connected on social media. Uh, we have a number of Instagram handles. We have uh, 180 Church, 180 BRG, as I mentioned before, and 180 Fellowship for our college ministry. We have our YouTube page at 180 Church NYC. Dr. Sammy has his Twitter page at uh, Dr. Sammy Kim. We have our Facebook page at 180 Church. And lastly, we have our Tumblr page again, 180BRG for the Bible Reading Group. And these are a great number of ways where we can come together online to keep up to date on everything that's going on in the church and to just come together and pray and do all these things together, again, in the context of community so that we're not doing life alone, but we're keeping together in community through all of these means. And on that note, um, we know that not everybody can make it here every single Sunday. So we do have our live stream available every Sunday 
uh, on our YouTube page at 180 Church NYC, and it starts every Sunday at about 10 after 12. And again, this is a great resource for if you can't make it here on a Sunday, or if you're inviting a friend out and they're just a little bit nervous about showing up in person, this is a great way to bring church to them, to help them start their journey in Christ. So again, it's on our uh, YouTube page at 180 Church NYC. Next, we have all of our small groups, which are where we come together in the middle of the week to go deeper into Dr. Sammy's sermon, to see where we're going in life, to see where Christ is calling us in life. And again, I've said it so many times today, it feels like it's becoming a catchphrase, but it's where we do it in community, where we do it together, where we're friends along the journey in where Christ is bringing us. And it's also a great way, if you're beginning your journey in Christ, to talk to people about where they've started and how they've been progressing in their relationship with Christ. We have the adult groups, which meet every Wednesday at 7.30, the young adult groups, which meet on Thursdays at 7.30, and we have the 180 Fellowship College group, which meets on Mondays at 7.30. And many of these are meeting online and virtually, so if you're interested in joining, come see me or any of the greeters in the blue shirts, and we'll get you connected. Next, we have a number of ways that we're looking for people to help us in uh, many of the ministries we have here at 180 Church. One of them is the children's ministry, and we have so many kids running around here now, it's starting to feel like we're getting a little outnumbered by them. <laughs> and we need some people to help us with starting their journey in Christ and uh, giving them a foundation for who God is. If you're interested in joining that, you can talk with Pastor Lydia or you can talk with Michelle Kim and they'll get you plugged in. Next, we have the 180 Cafe, which is a great time to just grab a cup of coffee or a cup of tea in the morning. And we are looking for people to help out with that as well. And this is just a great place for, you know, being that first point of contact with people as they come in. And if you're interested in joining that, you can talk to Danny O or Wendy Lee. Or if that's not uh, up your alley, we just have our greeters, which really are the first point of contact, the people that are the friendly faces to welcome people. And many of us are here because someone was friendly and said, welcome you're welcome here. We want to know all about you and help you on your journey in Christ and all of that stuff. And uh, if you're interested in joining that again, you can talk with Danny O or Wendy Lee. Those are all of our announcements today.